the JTAP podcast, episode 64. Send it. I can do that. JTAX. Clearing it hot, making it rain, and bringing the boom boom. Welcome, everybody, to episode 64 of the JTAP podcast. An old friend of mine, and before we came live on, I was trying to go back and figure out where I uh, started our friendship, but uh, maybe we'll get into that, maybe we won't. Mark, I appreciate you uh, taking the time and uh, actually finally agreeing to come on and talk to me. Uh, thanks. Yeah, thanks, mate. Um, yeah, it's good, it's good to see you again and uh, and to catch up. And uh, yeah, thank, thanks for inviting me. I know I've not made this easy for you, have I? I've, I've I've kind of um, I've played hard to get on this for a while now, and um, the, I, I want to, if you don't mind, I, I'll I'll just explain why. But when you when you first asked me to do this, it was it was a while ago. I'm I was really reticent to do it, and I, I think for a couple of reasons. I think um, the, the first one I think is because I, d- I don't think you never feel like your story and your experiences are going to be like alley enough, or you know. Uh, warrant warrant someone's time to listen to um and I, I think the other the other part of it was and i know this is going to sound really daft but the last and i've been out what five years now and it's been a good maybe nine ten years ago since i was on proper active ops but the last sort of seven or eight years that i was properly active you know the people that i was working around were were absolute consummate professionals but the the kind of people that never talked about what they did you know for for operational reasons and and also for for the fact that they were just that kind of mentality the more mature you know um yeah we're talking about tier, tier one guys who, who i absolutely you know wanted to emulate in every way um and they, they just would not talk about what they did they were just professional they did what they did then they went home and that was it and and i kind of you know i i liked that mindset and that and i and i just I suppose I just stayed like that for ages, just wanting to be that person who did that, but doesn't talk about it. And then, and then a couple of things have happened recently. Um, one of them was uh, I lost a, a friend recently to, to suicide. Um, someone you know as well, Neil, quite well. Mm-hmm. And um, you know, we, we grew up grew up as soldiers, as it were. And um, yeah, to, to for him to take his own life and and suddenly you realize that because a lot of the time we think that you know people are doing all right and if you don't talk to people no news is good news and you know i'm sure they're doing just fine and you know and i i suppose that that was a bit of a wake-up call and the you know the subsequent thoughts and feelings behind that that you know you, you didn't support someone and and then the, the other thing the other thing um is the podcast um you know i i finally got my act together about 10 days ago downloaded some of the podcasts obviously I cherry-picked initially the guys that I've worked closely with and I know really well and and now I've downloaded a lot more and that but listening to them um has made me realize that that's it and not not to blow too much smoke up your ass Neil but you know what you're doing is, is an incredible thing you know it kind of brings brings people together again and also just puts you back in that that frame of mind around the the people that you know you had left and right of you, you know, your you sort of buddies and your, your comrades that, you know, it sort of, it's really incredibly therapeutic to listen to and it, totally not what I thought it was going to be and really great stories, really, uh, you know, humbling to listen to, you know, the people that I've sort of grown up with and worked around and it was, yeah, it was a bit of an eye-opener and I, and I thought, 
actually it's really good thing to do really great thing to do to listen to, to other people's thoughts and experiences of that that time and you know so yeah thanks and you know like I say incredible thing that you're doing here and you know the being able to listen it's transformed my uh it's transformed my um commutes to work and <laughs> right, yeah, yeah. you know it's something to look forward to now you know listening to the stories again and you know the like I say that the thoughts and feelings of, of the blokes that you sort of grew up around you know it's it's really great yeah and I like I always say at the beginning of these things that like everyone's opinion on here is their own it's it's not that of all, not any organization and and the way this kind of started was like a little bit of fun you know to open up sort of like there's I don't feel like there's anyone that really speaks about our community there's a couple of guys who've got some really cool podcasts out there um American dudes who talk about specific you know recruiting pipelines and stuff like that but I didn't want to do that and I didn't want to tell I didn't want to be like hey look at this that and the other what it wanted to be was specifically stories about individual people and I wanted it always be light-hearted and um <clears throat> I, I was like, I don't know if this will work because I know people want to get really, you know, you, you see the modern media and it's always like, ask the difficult question, ask the hard question, make the person uncomfortable. And I'm like, hmm. I'm just going to have a, a, every person that comes on here is going to be a friend or a friend of a friend, you know, and I don't want, I don't want to hear that. I don't even want to, I wouldn't even listen to that podcast. So why would I try and make it? So I guess that's why it's gone the way it's gone because I probably the number one fan of the podcast is me. And I know that sounds stupid because <laughs> I'm the one recording it. But on the other hand, I don't hear it. And does that make sense? I don't hear it when yeah, we're no, talking. Right? You're absolutely right. And, so and I go back and listen to them. All the better for it. Like you say, who wants to listen to, to nitty gritty details for, for 40 minutes? You know, better to hear someone's thoughts and experiences. And, you know, like I say, it's it's a great way to to, to just bring that community back together and, and just reminisce and you know I've laughed so much you know <laughs> over the last few days listening to some of the stories again and just being back in that moment you know and yeah it's great and, and also you know people's backgrounds and uh, understanding their and it, right. it's a great you know some great inspirational stuff to listen to you know some of the people that we know very well and what they've gone through and for, for I don't know what your what your civilian audience is like, but I can imagine some of these some of these podcasts to be incredibly inspirational. For, because when you think about some of the stuff that people that we know and what they've been through, um, and come out the other side of, and you know they how they've just managed to deal with that, you know, in their own way, and then now listening to them like laugh and joke, it's it's you know I'm sure people think God that's horrific and horrifying. How did they get through that? And listening to to people laugh and joke about that stuff and and say you know this is this is how I dealt with it. it it's incredible. There you go. There's your, there's your advert for your podcast. I'll just take my fee and leave now. <laughs> I, I just loop this. Yeah, bumping it out. Yeah. Yeah, no, oh, they are. It is wild, like uh, the stories that people tell you, and and you know what stuff that I didn't know about these people, like the fit. I've yeah. known them my whole career, and yeah, like they're like telling me like about the stuff. So that sure. being said, take us back to the beginning, Mark. Like, where do you come from? Where do you grow up? What's the family structure look like? What does what does that period in your life before some recruiter got their hooks into you look like? Okay, so I, I mean. Having already said that, I've listened to to some of the other podcasts, um, and and obviously I've set they've set the bar very very high. And um, so, what I'm going to do now is is I'm going to describe my my younger childhood years uh, in one word: mundane. All right. Okay. <laughs> so so um, I was I was born in born in Peterborough, 
hospital and lived very close. So Peterborough, Lincolnshire. Someone had to be. And um, uh, grew up in that area just outside Peterborough in a little town called Market Deepin, which is uh, the flattest, most boring place probably on the planet. Um, I had a younger brother, uh, two years, two years my younger, Neil. And, uh, and we had, you know, a relatively normal, happy childhood. You know, we, um, uh, my dad was a lorry driver. Mum was a delivery driver, I think, in the, when, in the younger years, and then just became like a full-time mum. And uh, so very, very working class. Um, we weren't, don't get me wrong, we weren't, we weren't destitute or poor, and we, you know, we did all right. Um, and yeah, it was just very, very average. I, I suppose just up until the point when I was about 12, 12 years old, 12 or 13 years old, and uh, my parents decided, my dad decided to pack up lorry driving um and uh, they they had this idea about owning a, a shop so we moved to we moved to a little town near norwich in norfolk um so my my childhood sort of changed rapidly then so i'd gone from being in a large comprehensive school um in in rural fenland uh, lincolnshire to um to a re relatively small school in in this sort of again, rural sort of town in, in Norfolk. Um, and what I didn't realise at the time was that if you if you grew up in Lincolnshire and then you moved to Norfolk, um, what that means is that you're posh. You've got quite a posh accent, apparently, even though obviously you're, you're <laughs> being like the Greenwich Meridian of all accents. There's like no accent. But um, if you move to sort of deepest, darkest Norfolk, you, you've suddenly got this uh, posh accent which means that you live in a mansion with butlers and, and everything um, what I also didn't realize at the time was that um, if, if you're posh and you and you go to a rural Norfolk school you've got to be beaten up at least once a week so that was a bit of an eye-opener that was that was quite new important stuff um, great yeah <laughs> <laughs> we, we can laugh about it now <laughs> so uh, yeah that was that was a bit of an eye-opener it was um, yeah so it, it sort of that was a sort of a bit of a tough time for me I'll be honest uh, I don't think my brother ever got quite as, as tough a time as I did because he, he went to the primary school and then moved up um, whereas where I went into sort of the, the middle of secondary school you know friends friendships were already made bonds were already made you know uh, and friendship groups were already there and you kind of trying to break into that and um, found it really really difficult and I I, I Obviously, with my uh, posh posh accent and my butlers uh, everywhere, um, clearly, uh, I I upset people, and then uh, yeah, like I say that I, I must have got beaten up quite a few times, and that can go probably one of two ways. You it can either make you stronger, I guess, and and make you sort of you know come out fighting, or or you can do what I did, which is which is to become quite insular and uh, a bit withdrawn, and and then it becomes a bit of a downward spiral and. So the last two or three years of my schooling, I just just became more more and more sort of quiet, withdrawn, and the the other effects that had was maybe very angry internally, you know. So I became I had still still to this day, random, you know, astonishingly, you know, thirty years on, I still have to suppress that that sort of uh, anger management, you know, that I have. Um, don't, don't get you know, I'm not I'm not, I'm not saying I'm hard, but anyway, I'm certainly not, but you know that uh, certainly carry around that that anger <clears throat> uh, and a lot of my close friends um in, in probably including yourself Neil you know 
have spotted that over the years. Um, and the other thing, the other effect that has on you is it, it makes you um, very insecure and, and gave me like a, a competitive streak, you know. So going through life, I've noticed that if, if you want to be popular, the two, the two personality traits you want to try and avoid are having, having a, a competitive streak and having like anger issues. How does so, anyone uh, like any of us? <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> so really, really set me up for life there. It was great. So, okay. I mean, you know, kids are kids, you know, they, they can be cruel. And kids I'm are awesome. Quite, I'm, yeah, I'm quite quite thankful, actually. Humans are. Social media at the time, because I think that I dread, you know, I really feel for kids these days growing up, you know, and, and to, you know, getting, getting grief um, because you, you can't get away from it. So, yeah, quite thankful that it was before... Uh, you know, smartphone or a long time before smartphones, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it, it was a tough time. And uh, I was, you know, like I say, I was just a scrawny little, um, scrawny little kid from Lincolnshire, you know, trying to sort of battle his way through the last few years of school. What? Yeah. What was it then? Was there any like one in your family that had served or like, what was it? Like, I know, obviously, I know what's around there. I know the influence that's around that part of the world, obviously coming into it later in my life but what was it that hooked you into the military what was it that made you go to a recruiting office I mean what was going like you said you're insular at school like again that goes one of two ways one you either like study hard and you know you disappear off to university or something like that but maybe that wasn't on the cards for you financially or whatever but what was it what was the hook someone in the family cadets I don't know so um yeah I, I didn't really, my, my dad was in the army, but long, long before me and my brother were born. So he, he you know, he, he told the odd tale, but not, not a lot. I think he was RMP actually. I think he was the military police, but so there was, there was no direct influence there, um, nor on my mum's side. But where we grew up, um, where, where I initially grew up in Lincolnshire was very close to um, a few RAF bases, you know, on, on the old A1 there. So um I got to visit a lot of my friends' dads were, were military or RAF, and I got to visit a few of the bases. And uh, yeah, I did. I did join Air Cadets, yeah, and uh, for, for maybe a year or so. Um, and again, did a few few cracking things with them, you know, flying gliders and doing all that. I originally wanted to be a pilot, you know. So growing up around that, around that area, seeing the Harriers flying over every day, you know, thinking, you know, that's that's what I want to do. I remember telling my dad, you know, I, I want, I really want to be a pilot. Um, sort of echoing a few things that are very similar kind of tale to, to Pete's actually you know uh, growing up thinking yeah really want to be a pilot and then you know you're shooting for the moon and then you, you see your, your exam results and start <laughs> becoming a little bit more realistic <laughs> yeah yeah that's clearly not going to happen but I probably could have scraped together um, enough qualifications to, to go for initial officer training and pilot training but again I think that uh, I was still very very insecure and very a lot of self-doubt you know and probably didn't think that I was I was worthy um at the time you know just this little scrote who you know seemed seemed to just find trouble at, at every corner and I, I just generally probably didn't think I was I was ever going to be good enough for that um and again like, like Pete I think uh, I started looking I started reading books and and stuff about and watching uh, war movies and become very very uh interested in in you know ground units and some of the more famous units that you read about you know like the marines of paris um 
and and the special forces units and you know reading those books and the stuff that went on in in the first gulf war as i was sort of coming towards the end of my schooling into you know into you know and then sort of bummed around for a few years we did have a good friend of the family uh, a guy called nick who who was ex-rough edge from years ago he <laughs> and he used to tell some really good stories and I'll be honest, it was probably his influence, actually, that that made me go that way. Otherwise, I probably wouldn't have known about the RAF regiment. You know, yeah. he, he told me some good mm -hmm. stuff about, you know, the kind of stuff they used to do. And and I, I thought, yeah, that's that sounds really cool. And he, he obviously he obviously sort of persuaded me against the army, um, saying that you'll do all the same stuff, but you'll be treated better. You'll have better food, better accommodation. Um, he was right. Slower promotion. He left that out of the conversation somehow. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, he, uh, he, he, yeah, he was quite quite a big influence. He was a good lad as well, and you know, and yeah, that's probably why I ended up going into the recruitment office and and going to the RAF recruiting office rather than the Army or the the, the Marines. Uh, although I did consider them, but um, yeah, I, that that was it. I ended up I was won over by pictures of fast roping and stuff. Ironically, <laughs> <laughs> what what year was it that when you went through? Uh, so it was uh, it was ninety three. So I'd, I'd left college. I'd left school. I'd done a little bit of college just to top up, top up the um, GCSEs, um, which didn't really work. But um, I then uh, I joined in ninety three. I tried to join about six months earlier. I would have gone in ninety two, but um, I caught glandular fever. So so the skinny little run became even skinnier and even more weak and and horrible and. Uh, they, the, the recruiting office took one look at me and went, no, not a chance. You, you never did pass. put that weight back on, did you? <laughs> <laughs> really, yeah. and, uh, so, so it was 93 I joined up and uh, went up to, to Catterick to do, to do basic training. You know you're old school when you're saying you went to Catterick. So <laughs> one of the so-called old school, yeah. I know where the lone tree is and all that, yeah. Yeah, yes, laughter that well. generation, man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, proper old school then. But, um, well, I, I say old school, but my, my career sort of straddled both, you know, because the, the, the depot moved from Catterick to, to Honington about a year or two later, you know, yeah. so, and then it's sort of the, the people I spent most of my career, latter career with were, were all the younger guys that went through, went through at Honington. So, you know, my, my career sort of straddled both, but yeah, I, let's say I passed out at Catterick. I wasn't old school, but I passed out at Catterick, um, mm. Eventually, I, f I found basic training very hard, you know, and, and having listened to some of the other podcasts, you know, where, where the guys are talking about, you know, having conversations with their with their corporals and their instructors about where they're going to go after. <laughs> All I could concentrate on was getting through each day. <laughs> if, if one of my instructors spoke to me, it was probably a bad reason. It oh was probably God. a bad thing. I was probably about to go running or leopard crawling somewhere. Yeah. Um, because genuinely, again, not, not no fault of anybody's, you know, it's just that I, I, I was, I would think I was still in that sort of insular, very angry little backstair, scrawny, you know, underconfident lad that just, I just couldn't get anything right. And I, I found it a real struggle. I really did. So just getting through week by week was, was tough enough. Um, Luckily, the, the charm of my career has been, uh, and I can say this without a shadow of a doubt, the right coach, mentor, friend or person has always come along at just the right time to, 
to give me you know that that extra that I've needed to to get where I needed to get you know and then uh, th that was that time was no different you know in the early days it was a lad called uh, we'll call him Sherlock um <laughs> okay. you know as well yeah so we, we you know he, he joined up the same time as me far more confident than me a little bit more worldly experience although we were the same age a lot more worldly experience and uh just seemed to take it all in his stride you know I had a great sense of humor we got on right from day one and uh I can honestly say if it wasn't for him I wouldn't wouldn't have, wouldn't be here now. I wouldn't have got through um because the few times that I did say that's it you know can't go on can't do anymore this is too tough for me um you know he was the one who brought me around kept me going turned yeah. around helped me out he was the one you know up at midnight with me you know helping me saw me me locker out which was going to get the window the following morning anyway <laughs> so, and yeah genuinely i mean there was there was a few lads on that course it was a good Dave feezy was, <laughs> Dave was <on> the same. <laughs> uh, tell you, i didn't have an easy time it and uh yeah it, it was tough and yeah i i was as as astonished to pass that as as uh, anyone else you know um but that's you know that's the start isn't it and you you, you start with that and they're the building blocks and then you you kind of start building your confidence on top of that, you know. Yeah. So obviously, it, it's the interesting thing about what you've said there is like that you might not have the mindset yet, but like people, you know, you you gravitate towards the right people, and you can start to pick it up. And Absolutely. I'm sure we'll get onto it later in in your career, sort of like towards the at the back end of it. But like, I, I feel truly privileged to be in a, surrounded people like by people like that. Because, yeah, absolutely. And you just like it just bleeds onto you. And eventually that's just the way you think, because it's just the way when you're success, you see the successful people in our community. This is um, specifically you see them and you're like, that's the mindset you've got to have to be successful. And so yeah. you just you take a little totally. slice of that and another slice of it and another slice of it. And eventually it's the only way you think. And, and, yeah, then, I, and, and then you start to become successful yourself because you finally got on board with the program yeah absolutely yeah i mean it's it's about picking your role models you know and and being and, and i didn't initially I, I i passed basics and like say you know so, so listen to the other sort of the other guys it's funny you know listening to them saying yeah you know i wanted to do this i wanted i wanted to go two squadron i wanted to go one squadron i wanted to go and i, and I, I just think you know all i wanted to do was pass and i'd have taken a pass and, and any day i was like you know, so happy to get through it that I really hadn't even thought about where I was going after. Um, as it as it turned out, it didn't make any difference because we all went rapier anyway. There, there was yeah. a massive shortage on the rapier side, so so we all went there. And like I say, I was just happy to to be out. And um, you know, people slate rapier because of what it was. Yeah, it, it wasn't soldiering. It was it was wet nursing a, a robot. You know, that fires missiles. It wasn't it wasn't sexy. It wasn't fun. It wasn't. But you. I got out of it what I what I what I needed to get out of it, and and again at the time there was a couple of extremely good role models that that uh, eventually I got in with a bit of a bad crowd initially. You know some of the some of the ex-German fat-bellied naffy heroes that you know I was kind of looking up to at the time, but there was the wrong crowd, and and you know started to I think those early days is where I sort of learned to drink, and then uh, you know yeah my career was going in the wrong direction, and luckily there was a couple of people on those rapier squadrons that that i think saw something in me you know there's a guy called jim um two gyms actually and and uh, uh and a lad called nanny and you know even early on i think they saw something in me that they thought no he's there's more to him than, than just this little you know scrawny gobshite that you know we we could probably make something of him and and fortunately thankfully for me they, they did and started pushing me in the right directions 
I used to say things like that. I used to say they used to, they, somebody saw something in me. And then I got to a point in my career where I was like, had people in front of me, like eight people, let's say in front of me. And I would, I would give them all the same opportunity. Do you know what I mean? And then yeah. later on in my career, they've come back to me and said, oh, Neil, you must have seen something in me. And, and, and I was like, I saw something in every single one of you. That you were the one that you were the, just the one that reciprocated what I was given. Like I gave every single one of you an equal opportunity because I saw something in all of you. Um, and you're the one that you should, took you it. Should, you should be a life coach, mate. I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but like, it's, it's true though. It's because, because <laughs> so like, when I was young, I used to look up back and go, Oh, that person saw something in me. But now yeah. I know like, so Andy Walsh was a huge influence in my life early sure. in my career when I was in LAC. But he, he used, and I look, I used to be like, oh, Andy saw something in me and he just treated me differently. But I look back, he used to destroy me in Hugh. He used to destroy me in Stu Hefty. He used to destroy me in like uh, Diggers and all those dudes, all, all the same. Like, and even the guys who like ended up just staying where they were or getting out, the guys who'd come from Germany. He, he, but at the time I didn't see it that way. I was like, he sees something in me. You know what I mean? Yeah, and yeah. I was like, no, it didn't. And now, and then I started to emulate him as when I became an NCO, I used part of the way he conducted himself to em, like yeah. to be with my guys. And uh, I just gave them all the same opportunity. And if they responded, then I gave them some more. And if they responded, I gave them some more. And the guys who didn't respond, I would just stay at that first level, you know, where they had the opportunity, they just weren't taking it. Um, yeah. So like, I hear what you're saying, but someone gave you the opportunity and you still had to take it. Yeah, you're yeah, the like, right. Yeah, like, someone can say, "Hey, you know, you know, here's this," but if you don't do anything with it, then where are you going to go? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's true. What? But I mean, and it, gradually, I think you, you know, you start to build confidence, and you start to think, actually, I can, I can do things. And I think we did a couple of tours of the Falklands at the time, and um, the first one, I just spent the the entire the entire four months perma pissed, um, <laughs> which would yeah. seem like the thing to do at the time, you know. And, that that's, is the thing to do in the Falklands. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It. Literally nothing else to do. And then the second time I went down there, I thought, I can't do that again. I can't just, you know, destroy my kidneys. And so I, I, I always wanted to go. I, I always thought, you know, I'd like I'd like to go field. And, and the airborne thing definitely appealed to me. And, I, you know, even as terrified of heights as I, as I am, you know, I thought, I, I reckon I can do that, you know. So I started training on the second tour of the Falklands, managed to stay off the beer enough to, to get myself fit and put myself forwards for it again with encouragement from from some of the guys on the squadron and then yeah again somehow just managed to get through that um you know it was a tough tough course and i think it was 12 of us started no maybe more there's probably 16 of us i think started and there was four of us at the end you know and some good lads you know and and through it again just taking it day by day but thinking oh, I, I can do this you know I'm, I'm rocking this one thing I found I had volunteered a couple of times for like Cambrian patrols and things never got selected for, them for some reason but always did the training for them and yeah that gave me a bit of confidence and like you say you just kind of build on that don't you and and, and gradually sort of start to to forge who you're going to be in the future you know like you say you know forge not made you know you, yeah right absolutely you it's not done till it's, it's not done till it's done, right? Absolutely. And and I, and I think, and again, what that says about you as a person as well about volunteer. I like, I like the way we do it. Like that, you have to make a secondary movement. So you go. I've joined up, and I'm going to go to a squadron. And even if you go to two straight off of basics, it's still a conscious decision. You still have to write, fill in that paperwork, and you still have to make that conscious decision. And then yeah, you leave basic training, 
and you go to the squadron and you're part of the squadron and then you're expected to do pre-fire and i think that gives you a different kind of human to going through it during basic training and uh uh, you look at the guys who like you've gone to a squadron and you've done like the Falklands and you're down there on your second level of Falklands and then you're like oh, do you know what now I'm going to put myself through this pain um, and then I think that breeds just a, a different kind of human so you obviously you do pre I'm assuming you're successful um, maybe we wouldn't be having this conversation if you weren't I don't know but um, you what year do you end up on on two and how different was that from where you'd come from so so I went to two in 97 um and uh yeah a world a world of difference you know from where i'd come from and um yeah i didn't realize didn't really know what to expect and i was put straight into mortars um which initially i was i was was like terrified some of the characters on there and i mean luckily the the three people that passed pre-para with me went straight to mortars as well so we went there as a little gang and um, and then the next thing I find, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm on a, a 10, 10K, or sorry, a 10, 10 mile tab with, with a mortar barrel on my back thinking, what the hell, you know, and learning how to use this new bit of kit. And to, if I'm honest, I loved it. When I look back, it was one of my fondest times in the military, you know, that there was such a great bunch of lads and, you know, the, the whole job was great and we really enjoyed it. Um, just immense stories from that time of, you know, but um it, I stayed on mortars for, for a couple of years. Um, yeah, like I say, loved it. We we did a we did a tour of um, Kosovo. Um, sorry, did, did a tour of Kuwait, then then a tour of Kosovo, and then back to Kuwait. Um, and at that time, I started seeing the the snipers cutting about. And and again, I, you know, some of the characters that were there, I really sort of emulated, really like, you know, like the, the cut of their jib. You know, I liked the way they sort of you know did went about their business and it wasn't that I was disenchanted with mortars at all I just again I, st- I think I've got the hunger now I, th- I think I on the mortar side of things you know again growing confidence that that you know started to get a little bit bigger and I could carry the worked out I could carry the weight and you know I could I could contribute you know and like I say the confidence was building all the time and and dare you know dare I dare I try and become a sniper you know there was it wasn't that long ago five years ago I was wondering whether I'd pass basics you know and here I am on two squadron you know which I consider to be the premier unit in the regiment and and I'm daring to to consider going for my sniper course you know so I'm already a long way from where I thought I was going to be and again I, I applied for it had a, again had an amazing mentor uh, in Nobby um, and uh, and Cookie and a, and a couple of others and uh, you know, amazing mentors and coaches and, and got through the course somehow, you know, again, started to take a lot of pride in me soldiering and what I was doing. I found that I was, um, I mean, the, the one thing I was always reasonably good at was shooting anyway, but I know shooting is only a small part of, of that whole whole sort of uh, skill set. But um, even on basics, the, the only time I think I ever got any praise was on like 100 meter range when I managed to pull out a, a sort of sub 50 mil group out of my ass somehow. And I think one of the one of the instructors said, I think, King, I think we finally found something you're good at. Uh, <laughs> <everywhere."> <laughs> so shooting, shooting was never a massive issue, but um, I found that I was quite, I had quite a talent for map reading. Um, I found that naving at night was, was came quite naturally to me for some reason, I don't know why. Didn't never wasn't allowed. I was a townie lad when I was when I was a little scrote, so don't really know where that came from. But 
being able to navigate and being able to run and shoot gives you a lot of confidence in that world. Um, and I passed, yeah. passed the sniper course. Um, and then I like the way yeah. you just skipped over that, like you, uh, and then I passed, passed the sniper course. That's well, like, no. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a, I could sum it up. There was a you're lot like, of crawling in the rain. You're like, yeah. <laughs> so I really struggled through basics, pre-para, sniper course, Mortimer. Anyway, moving oh, on. Don't, don't get me wrong. No, no one was more surprised than me. And, and again, another theme running through my career is that, that every now and again, like looking round, almost almost expecting to be caught out, like someone's going to suss me out in a minute. Someone's going to realise that I'm still that, you know, scrawny little underconfident kid with, with massive um, inferiority complex. You know, someone's going to notice me and realise that I shouldn't be here doing this. And, and conversely, there's always that that thought of they're actually letting me do this. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> you know, someone's paying me for this. This is amazing. <laughs> I can't believe I'm actually doing this. So yeah, again, like I say, you know, the, the, the conf trying to grow the confidence without the ego growing at the same time. And yeah, so yeah, there was a lot of crawling in the rain. Um, but yeah, past the course. Um, and, and then like I say, confidence grew again. And um, yeah. And then I, I suppose that was about that time then that I, I put forwards for my um, corporal course so my FT2 as it was you know to to do my uh... yeah I was going to say you're like you're getting into almost into the 2000 there and what's that's exactly I right, mean yeah. it's weird because my generation obviously I started in 2001 my generation had a a, a quicker cycle to it's about six years to to corporal but like the generation that you joined was like 15 or 17 year SACs so what was the thought process when you got put forward? Like, were those people still around? Because that's still pretty quick to corporal for that, yeah, that it's, era. It's funny listening to, I was listening to Tom's um, podcast uh, today and uh, where he's saying that he got put forwards for his, for his FT2 at um, four and a half year point. Oh. Um, I think I was, I was just at the eight year point when I got put forwards and I was considered to be a that's flyer quick. at the time. You yeah. know, it, it, well, was, in the 90s. it was unheard of, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, exactly. In the early so 2000s, it's... when people were getting put forward, like Tom, and I'm trying to think, like Stevie, and a couple of those other guys, I remember it being, it was talked across yeah. the whole regiment, people were talking about it. I, they were talking about people yeah. I'd never heard of, and they're like, this guy's been promoted in six years. And I was like, you know, I'm only young, yeah. I've only been in one or two years. So in the 90s, old guys. Yeah. to do it in eight years is impressive. Yeah, I th yeah, I think I was, I, I was probably at the start of that wave of, of change that needed to happen you know sure. we, we needed we needed as a regiment to start becoming more in line with with the army and and other other arms you know because we were so far behind. our corporals compared to to the ones in the army were like you know in their 40s <laughs> they couldn't cut about like yeah. young blokes you know you needed young thrusters to be able to, to lead and yeah there was a lot of change needed to happen i think i was at the, like I say at the start of that wave i think i was quite lucky at the time to get picked up that soon considering yeah yeah. Um, and again, you know, I had a lot of comfort coming from two, already having the, the mortars and the sniper background. You've now got a lot of knowledge that you can take into a course and and use, you know, and, and it gives you confidence. And so, yeah, so the FT2 was, yeah, I almost enjoyed it in a way, totally, almost in a perverse way, because I hated basic training so much. Mm -hmm. You know, when a course like that came along and I, and I thought, you know, I, I didn't think I'd ever get here. So, you know what? I've got nothing to lose. <laughs> and I've got yeah. all this knowledge now and a bit of confidence. And, you know, does, so. 
there's part yeah. of training wing when you show up there and i know it might be different for different people in different mindsets but certainly i think our group of uh people would say i had some i always had something to prove i was just like no like forget this that it wasn't even a case that i'm gonna fail it was a case of like i didn't that wasn't even a consideration it was just like i'm not gonna fail it's like there's no way you're gonna i'm gonna even allow that to happen i I immediately leapt at it. I think I couldn't wait to to get back to to um, Holton, where I was living at the time. I couldn't wait to get back there to get into work to to fill in the gen app. Um, already had a text message off of of, um, of Rob and uh, said, you know, you, you need to put your gen app in quick, uh, which I did. Um, and then I, you know, pretty soon found found myself uh, down at Dover. <laughs> Again, again, like looking around, going, is someone actually going to stop me doing this? Because, like, clearly, I'm not the guy to do this. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so so again, throwing throwing those three cat badges into the mix in in one blender was was a, an interesting experiment to say the least. Um, it, it didn't really work in barracks, but it seemed to work on ops. You know, we we went on our first op pretty quick. We bounced out the door literally within. You know, we'd already we'd already given herself a good head start. I think, you know, as you know, the, the platoon commander and the platoon sergeant that we had at the time, uh, both incredibly capable capable people in our regiment. You know, um, Rob, being someone that I looked up to massively when we were in Kosovo, as, as again, one of my role models, um, was there, you know, and couldn't have been, couldn't have wished for a better person to be the platoon sergeant at the time. You know, big bullish character who, who could stand his ground against anybody and that, that was massively uh, needed you know and uh, and so we like I say we, we bounced out on onto our first few ops first one was in afghan for, for a couple of months enjoyed it it wasn't it wasn't um we weren't doing the alliest stuff initially and and it was like okay this is fine but I, it's still better than anything i've done before you know and and therefore i'm happy you know yep if it was an eye opener, it was a massive eye opener, and I thought, well, if, if this is what it's going to be like, I'm I'm happy staying here. This this will be fine. You know, this is good. Uh, I'm getting to do proper soldiering. You know, shoulder to shoulder with people who, you know, allegedly are far 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 better than me. But you know, you know, we we seem to be holding our own. And the ops, like I say, the ops just got better and better. You know, I then I came back from that tour. I'd only been back in country. I moved my family because I had a young lad then. Um, so, so my wife and uh, Nathan, my lad, we, we moved down. Um, yeah, because yeah, it's training wing and I hate it. Absolutely, yeah, <laughs> totally right. So, uh, yeah, so that that, that was um, yeah, got got money again. Managed to get through through the FT two course. Um, got post. I then went to some uh, some training organisations. So I went to Holton and and then Benson, which is where I met you for the first time. I think and. Mm. Yeah, it was it was nice to get off the ops cycle because we'd done because uh, I'd been on two then for about five five and a half years and uh, as a as a mortarman then as a sniper and then as a as a full screw as a, as a corporal so I'd done a tour tour as e as each of those um, and then eventually got got posted off there and uh, so that's two two tours of the Falklands two tours of Kuwait and one tour of Kosovo at this point and then yeah it was nice I guess to take a step back and see how the other half lived so going to Holton and again just being surrounded by the most incredible characters at Holton and uh, again I, another fond time in my life when yeah it wasn't Ali it wasn't uh, 
you know we weren't going on any any ops but just just the characters I had around me at the time were, were great fun and and just have a bit of a rest from ops and from squadron life was good you know at Holton and, and at Benson you know it was um and then you start to get itchy feet again don't you and you, it was about the time Gulf War Two kicked off and yeah I look at that and I was like I couldn't have done it at a better time in my life I went there and I got so many amazing opportunities. You know, I played so much rugby for the Air Force and I, you know, I got to go to all those places with skiing and Norway and all of those amazing things because I was on a helicopter squadron and be part of like that JPR where they were just throwing money at it. And it, it, it turned out the way it turned out, but there was nothing really going on in the rest of the no. regiment. They were doing the same old cycle. And then it was like the second they started doing something, I was like, I'm out of here. I, and I, you know, I got promoted. So, yeah, I, I hear you. It was good to be there when we were there because there was nothing yeah. else going on. That's right. And then and then it was like the, the career was like a game of two halves, really. So it was the first half was, the, you know, the sort of, uh, you know, the rapier years and the two squadron years. And then, then there was that little break in the middle, you know, the sort of four or five year point. I it was about that time. I, <laughs> it was about that time that I, I decided I wanted to go. Um, SF I wanted to I wanted to have a crack at, at selection and yeah um, and yeah. so th there I am you know thinking once again looking around going you know really you know I'm you know again I, you know I might be not taller and bigger now but you know internally I'm still this this scrawny little lad from Lincolnshire who you know what wasn't really ever going to get into the military because I was just this little angry horrible scrote and and here I am now considering going going for selection and so, you know, this was about the time I think we were at Benson and mm -hmm. I put the training in, you know, I worked really hard. Um, it was never to be. It was, it's one of those things, you know, I, I, I put a lot of effort into it, but, um, you know, it's a tough course. It's not one of the hardest courses in the world for no reason. And, you know, it took its toll on me. You know, plenty of people come off that course and say they got injured and that's why, you know, that they, they, they never passed it. I think uh, you, you pick up Nick at little niggly injuries of course you do but I think it, in the end I think I'd I just uh, I was too much of a, of a of a thin racing snake at the time and yeah I could run but I think the weeks and weeks and weeks of, of pounding hills you know just took its toll on me and in the, in the end I just had nothing nothing in the tank you know even I'll get up in the morning and, and start with very little energy that alone when I finished but so you know I got almost to the end of the hills didn't, didn't quite make it and you know it was a great experience you know it, it it was real eye opener and it made it gave me the hunger it made me think i i want this kind of i want to be involved you know and i want to do this for a living um and and again being exposed to to the instructors and the and some of the the people and what was going on and the possibilities just just were were amazing and i, I remember thinking i want this i really want this and i'll give myself a bit of rest try and put some weight back on uh, and i'll come back um and weirdly at the time literally the day I came off of uh, selection driving back towards Huntington feeling quite down and um, I heard that they there was a new unit starting up I think it was through Jordan actually um, so I, I was on the same same selection as Jordan we um, we heard about a new unit being formed with, um, again loved it loved living down there it was fantastic and uh, you know we made some good friends down there I pretty much moved them into the house and then went back out on ops for six months. So left them behind to sort of fend for themselves in a new house in a new area, but they, they were loving it. Um, and I went off in a, on a small 
mentoring team for six months. And that was, again, the, far beyond the punchiest thing I ever imagined I was I would be doing, you know, um, and cutting about looking the part. They, they said from the minute we started the PDT, you know, they were like, right, you're one of us. You know, don't think that it's them and us. You know, you're one of us. You're going to be as, as integrated as we are. Um, and they, you know, I found that good at doing that, you know, bringing us into the fold and making us feel like part of the team. And yeah, amazingly, amazingly punchy ops. Um, six months of that, came back, uh, you know, a couple of war stories, but essentially that was that was a, more like a, a six month stag weekend with guns and motorbikes, but it, <laughs> was, it was good fun. I came back, um, you know, top of the world. Um, I'd only been back a few weeks and uh, I found out that I was being bounced back out to Iraq. So, um, yeah, it, it was, uh, sorry, no. Yeah, I, I, sorry, I came back. I, I went on to my um, FT2 course, so uh, to my sergeant course. Um, again, uh, managed to get through that, passed. Um, and then within within weeks, I, I was bounced back out to Iraq. Um, so I went back to back to my unit, caught them up in Iraq. Something had happened that meant I needed to go out there. Um, I was out there maybe, I don't know, um, probably two or three weeks, I think. Um, and then I had an incident um, involving a fast rope. Uh, ironically, the poster that I saw in the recruitment agency that... You finally know, caught up with you, man. <laughs> he finally up, caught up with a guy fast roping from a Puma. And uh, I remember the irony, thinking back and... Uh, there I was laying on a street in Baghdad with a broken right leg, thinking, brilliant, you know, and being dragged around to cover. And yeah, it, yeah, it's one of those life experiences. It was a bad day in the office. You want to tell us any more about that story? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> shall, shall, we, shall, we dispel, shall we dispel some rumours? Uh, uh, you, no, you, you weren't riding a push bike through the middle of Baghdad? No, yeah, yeah, that's how it ended up. So... Yeah, so, okay, long story short is is that the sun had come up at this point. So we'd been out all night and then the sun, I was on the area. When we actually fast roped, it, it was ad hoc. It wasn't onto the main target. It was it was way away, but um, we we chased a vehicle and then had to um, fast rope in. Um, the, the, obviously, the helo couldn't land. Uh, we nearly ended up wrapping the tail rope around a, around a power cable, which luckily I managed to get the air loadie to look at and... Um, managed to, to stop us uh, hitting that um, there was bits of wriggly tin basically proper spinning a dit here aren't i mm. um bits of wriggly tin getting getting pulled off the roofs and, and coming back down through the rotor blades and stuff and uh, genuinely thought we were going in at one point and when the loadie kicked the ropes out the door I, I literally couldn't get my ass down that rope fast enough um i just wanted to be out of that airframe if i'm honest um the the i told the guys to ditch their some of the kit that we didn't need um you know light and fast you know because we were in an area where we weren't expected um for some reason the medic decided that was his cue to ditch his med pack as well so, so that was good so i'm laying on the ground okay. and, uh, <laughs> with a medic with no med pack um he managed to put a cat two tourniquet around my ankle which looked like a ball of knitting um great and uh the I tried to, the only place the Puma could get in was about 200 metres away. So um, I tried to hop there with the medic and another guy. Um, I think it was our mate John. I think we're, we're trying to get there. But my ankle was just flopping around all over the place. And uh, 
So I didn't get very far, you know, before I had to take a knee again. And um, I said, lads, there must be, because we don't have a stretcher or anything. And, I, and the rest of the team were off uh, capturing this, uh, this guy. So um, I said, there must be a bit of that wriggly tin. You know, there was so much of it in the air when we were in the air now that we couldn't find any. I thought we'd use that. But one of the guys came back with a bike and uh, they were going to lay it down, I think, and I was going to lay on it. And they were, and I went, no, 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 stand it up. I'll get on it. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. I did that. <laughs> That's it's working, man. It's yeah. working brilliant. Yeah. That's that is where it's at. There was rumours. There was rumours going around for ages that there was gun tape of that. You know, of me pushing myself along on a push bike. Um, oh man! Back myself, but, if anyone yeah. has that, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> It'll probably surface now, won't it? But, yeah, yeah. There we go. So that was. Yeah, Kazivak back to the hospital in, in Baghdad, um, where I, I'd literally been laying there for about an hour when, when all the windows came in because the car bomb went off outside. So that just topped the day off really nicely. Wow. Um, and then Kazivak to Germany, surgery, metal plates, and then back to the UK for a bit of rehab. How long was it? How long did you stay then after that until you, you went? Did you go to training wing after that? Is that right? before you no, went so, to over no, or did you so jump I'm, straight from there to the cell i was yeah i was yeah so i was kind of preempting your your question about what got you into the the air, air cell side so uh, i'm sorry long, long convoluted story up to this point but um so I'm, I'm laying there with a broken leg or doing rehab anyway so during that process i was asked a, a very straightforward question and the question was are you going to get fit enough to go back on ops in the next you know four to six months and I said you know without using the the words that I used it was like yeah of course I am and they went right because if you can get fit within the next four months we've got a, we've got a JTAC job a forward air control job for you um now how much did you know about that uh, quite a bit because um well uh, you know a reasonable amount because I'd already been down the group for a couple of years um, and you know one of our best mates at the time Jordan and and Jerry and a few of the others were already in that world so I was already hearing you know all the stuff although I was wrapped up in my own stuff I was I was hearing a lot about it and yeah to me it seemed like and and when when I'd seen them operating on the ground they just seemed like the 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 ultimate cool collected professional you know and again that that part of me that wants to aspire to be like that never thinking that you're quite good enough but always daring to believe you know um but you know i thought maybe i can do that i remember i remember jerry vividly when we were both at hole and saying they've asked me to do this job and i i'm definitely not good enough and i thought at the time jerry if you're not good enough then i'm never gonna you know? <laughs> yeah who so again, is you know, Again, once again, you know, that, that perfect mentor comes along. In, He's playing hard of, to get too. Yeah, in the shape of Jerry. And again, took me under my wing while I was finishing my rehab. Um, started doing all my beat-up training. Put me forward from a course. Uh, managed to manage past the, the FAC course. And yeah, and then like the rest is history. You know, again, it wasn't long before, you know, done me, me um, combat-ready stuff. And it wasn't long before I was back out the door and... Um, back to Afghan um, this time, you know, um, on, on a, on a different company, you know, working with a company and um, cutting about the desert and uh, as a, as a JTAC and yeah, cut my teeth there doing that. An incredible tour. I mean, highs and lows, you know, the people got hurt and, you know, we, we lost a guy right at the end of the tour. It, it felt like we were a bit invincible to be honest. And then we, we came home having, you know, scrapes, cut scrapes and bruises, all of us, but, 
you know, it was we got off the plane this end and then heard that um, Stevie Bulger had, had been killed on ops, um, you know, literally the day we flew out. So he'd stayed behind effectively as part of a handover group and going out on an op, uh, literally one of his last ops of the tour, you literally couldn't write it, you know, and uh, he, he, he caught a couple of rounds and, and that was him. And, you know, it really hit me quite hard, you know, and it, it sort of, it was a bit of a wake up call, you know, it's like, we're not indestructible, you know, we're, mm. You know, and then and then the, the subsequent tour was obviously uh, Duncan's and you know and the, lots of stuff started happening that you you think oh my god you know this, this is very very real now you know people are getting hurt and we lost quite a few that year and it, it was it hit me every time you know and then uh, I think um, I, I I think I went back and did a, a couple more tours like um, uh, ops room based tours uh, which. You know, I got out on the ground a bit, but not not a lot. And I think by the time, by that time, I'd done four tours of um, Afghan and one tour of Iraq, and or very, albeit a very short tour of Iraq. Um, and uh, my son was starting to get to that age where he he knew how long six months was, you know. Um, and it was kind of breaking my heart at the time to leave him. Uh, what it was, was easier when he was young? <laughs> What was the biggest change? And, and I think like you're in an interesting position and Graham would probably be the guy who'd be able to talk the same way as you now, generationally, if you look at it, because he did the same thing, stepped over. But like, what was the biggest change considering you knew what they, you knew they existed and you knew you heard, you'd seen them on the ground, but then having to step away from being a door kicker and, and go through that forward air control course and then be reinserted into the same kind of a team or certainly the same group of, people what was the biggest change for you sort of from from a perspective of how you approached your your, your day-to-day work um I, I was never i was never like let's be honest i was never like a massive um thruster in in terms of i wasn't i would never be that guy shouting and screaming and leading the way for probably for all the reasons that um i, I talked about before but um what I what I noticed about the guys when I watched them operate and then I learned it on my course because it was hammered into us was how to stay calm under pressure you know and this was the biggest thing for me and it stayed with me for, for the rest of my career um, however short that was but it was that they hammered it into us that if you shout and scream down a mic that the person on the other end is not going to understand what you're saying so regardless of what's going on around you you have to try and block that out and you have to try and um, di- disassociate from that what's happening yeah, and to try to talk to the person on the other end of that that uh, mic like you're sat in a room like we're sat now you know mm-hmm. um, and, I, and I cultivated that in myself um, or I tried to at least you know and and it paid dividends it absolutely paid dividends and, and people remarked on it quite a lot um, you know, they were saying, you know, <laughs> in the post, the post uh, quick debriefs when people were going, and he would do this, and I was doing that, and he was just sat there going, and I want you to do this, and uh, yeah, and after that, and, you know, <laughs> yeah, you have yeah. to be that, you know, you have to be that sort of boring guy sat in the corner, and yeah, you are meerkatting to to see where where the fire positions are and everything else, but at the same time, and there's a lot going on around you, but you've, uh, yeah, it's it's keeping that, trying to keep that calm head and I think that that was the biggest change you know from from shouting and screaming at each other and getting things done to yeah you know someone shouting at you and you just turn around and go yeah I know isn't 
isn't that so uh, isn't it so funny that if you could give that to every every such commander and every parent right like yeah you know, yeah you just turn around <laughs> and go hey guess what if you detach and calm down and speak calmly and communicate with the other person in the in their brevity terms so in in the context of like a section commander say the things that the seven other people around you understand instead of just like telling them what you want them to do and then going, i still don't understand or to your children whatever their context is like calm the hell down and speak quieter and and actually you'll get a you'll get a greater response yeah <laughs> absolutely can, yeah totally just, right Take that out of JTAC and just give it to the rest of the world. You'd be like, there yeah, you go. There you go. <laughs> the whole world great, would be, yeah, which cure all the world's problems. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you know, you're right. And and, and it's, you need it because, you know, you've got a lot going on, especially like you say, if you're doing joint fires and everything else, and there's a lot of assets and a lot of stuff going, you really do need that uh, that calmness to be able to to picture in your mind's eye what's going on and 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 work out your your lines, you know, your deconflictions and everything else and, and then be able to relay that um to, to the people around you you know in a way that they understand yeah you've got to, you've got to keep that calm head yeah what was obviously from that yeah, those childhood days of uh seeing the harriers screaming over your top you maybe you'll jump to the avab or the harrier or something but what was your favorite platform to, to be supported by and maybe that's different for like when you're on the ground to when you're in ops room so I'll, I'll give you the option to pick two but if that is the case okay well um i, I was lucky enough fortunate enough on occasion to to operate and with the um, gunships with the ACs um, and, and let's be honest there is not nothing like that on this planet it, it's just unbelievable what that thing could provide you know in such a such a measured way you know in such a you know close way it, it wouldn't matter that there's someone on the other side of the wall you know they they can deal with that um, so that having that kind of platform with that kind of those kind of sensors and, and that array of weapons is just, yeah, incredible. So, and, I, and I'm fully aware that obviously not everybody in the world gets to use that. Um, and, 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 you know, that much money, I'm not surprised, but, you know, I was fortunate enough, very, very fortunate enough to, to go over to, to the States and do the course, you know, and, and, you know, use it on ranges and then use it at theatre. So that, you know, it's gotta be, isn't it? As much as I love the old Harrier, the A-10s, Apaches, you know, they're amazing, but yeah, there is nothing quite like that, unfortunately. No, absolutely not. If, uh, as we we talked about way back at the beginning, that this podcast is going to be like an unveiling of some description, maybe I'll uh, I'll ask you this question: Is what do you think the biggest myth about this career field is from an outsider's point of view? Um, what do you think that people misunderstand about? Not, I mean, JTAX, I guess, but like CAS, the CAS community. Um, I don't know. It's, that's quite a good question. I, I'd say it's that um, you know, it's the, I think it's that myth that we we didn't have the courageous restraint. I think you know there was a, there's a lot of you know people saying, oh yeah, J you know, <laughs> there was a, a lot of a lot of um, you know cowboys, but that that clearly wasn't true. You know, every 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 other JTAC I've ever met has, has been a consummate professional, and uh, you know, and and has, has has used a measured approach every time. You know, and you know, I I can sleep at night knowing that everything I did was measured, um, and I, and I, everybody I've met that's been in that same walk of life has been the same. You know, you you, you do uh, you do what you have to do to to get a job done, and you know, 
yeah, I, I don't know. It's, it's a tough one, that. I, I, I suppose I haven't really heard any of the myths before, so it's a tough one. Yeah, okay. Yeah, I just, uh, I think that sometimes it, it's nice to try and, like someone that's trying to get into this world and they're thinking, I think what you said about, it, it, am I real? Or Jerry and you said was like, I'm never going to be good enough for this. And I don't think that's necessarily yeah. true. I think a lot of people don't realize how, how good they are and how much of their military backgrounds, you know, they will transfer into this job. Yeah, no, you, you're right. That, you, yeah. You, you, you hit the nail on the head there. Mate. It's, you're right. I think people, people look at that job and they go, you, you're going to need two brains for that. <laughs> you're going to need two brains, four sets of ears and two mouths to do that job because of what's going on in your head. But it's, it's like any other, like you say, it's like any other um, skill set. It, it's just repetition and, and and picking it up piece by piece uh, until you've got the whole puzzle and you can you can put it together and make it look make it look natural, you know, make it look like you've been doing it your whole life. But it's the old it's the old swan analogy, isn't it? You know, like you said earlier, stay calm on the surface, you know, paddle like hell underneath. And, yeah, uh, but you make it work. Yeah, you try and make it look graceful. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> so that that being said, taking that sort of puzzle and and swan analogy, when you went through the course, did they give you a green brain, as it was called? Did they do that for you guys? Like, did they give what, you a little, a, um, like the, a, a load yeah. of cards and all that yeah. kind of stuff? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. How like I kind of got two questions. How much of that did you continue to use? after you left the course and like how would what kind of cribs notebook setup did you continue to use afterwards because what the guys get given today is very different to what you would have been given and certainly i was given something probably a bit more spun up than you were given and then that's continued to develop in the in a good way they're given a lot more um useful sort of stuff these days than than you sure. would have been given so my kind of question is how did that develop for you in your time as a jtac what would you recommend for like you know, uh, JTAC, who's, um, you know, uh, going into that sort of dynamic community. And, and my second question would be, if you could go all the way back and speak to young Mark or, or go back and speak to a guy who's in starting the pipeline, what three things would you say, hey, don't worry about this, this and this, because we're going to teach you it. That'll be fine. You'll learn those things. But if you have these three things, you're going to be successful. Okay. Um I'm going to try and remember the first question, aren't I? Um, yeah, so the, the green brain thing, um, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah, I carried it. I carried it throughout. Um, if I was being honest, I'd say it didn't It didn't come out very often. Um, probably more upstream-based stuff. Um, when, I, when I was in the field, I often found that I had enough going on in my hands to, you know, to... Um, to uh to, to deal with so you know pulling pulling the old green brain out of me top left to try and look at some reds it probably probably didn't happen if i'm honest it uh, or or to look at some you know look up information no it, it was kind of like um a lot of it was was on the hoof um i was a very much a fan of carrying around a set of like binos to get a range and and um and, and my compass I, I found out quite early on um that if, if with certain GPSs uh, you you could obviously plug in ranges and, and bearings, and and project a grid. And once I learned that, I think that was quite a quite a revelation. You know that if I could get, you know if I could get a pilot size in the right area, um, early on, you know by projecting a grid um, without even getting a map out, that that became like my my style of working. Yeah, and um, I don't want to, I don't want to, almost don't want to interrupt you, but I yeah. say 
I mean, obviously, I, I am where I am now, and I, I've taught in the school and everything. Every day, I'm like, range and bearing. Have you got a range and bearing? Have you got range? <laughs> like, that's it. I'm like, have you got a range so and bearing? Simple. Have you got a range yeah. and bearing? <laughs> no, it's people so are simple, like, you're like, like, what? You're like, if you have a range and bearing, you can do CAS. That's it. There's all, do you know where you are? Have you got a range and a bearing to the target? Okay, let's just do this then. <laughs> yeah. And then if you've got a thing on your wrist that will tell you actually that grid of that, of where that range of bearing is, then that's even even earlier, isn't it? It's amazing. This stuff's mind-blowing, right? Yeah, well, yeah, it blew my mind at the time. But uh, yeah, I mean, it's rough. It's not going to be cat one, but it's going to, like I say, it's going to get someone's eyes in the right direction. And Good enough for talk, so, Yeah. So the green brain, yeah, it was there, but it was probably just being used as extra ballast while I'm running around. Um, mm. The What would I tell someone? Um, do you know what? I, again, I think this goes back to, to the days of, of the old, you know, as I was becoming a, a corporal and a sniper earlier on, you know, having that ability, not it's not just a map reading thing. Yeah, map reading is, is absolutely fundamental. I would say that's got me through, you know, most of my career, being able to map read. Being, knowing where you are, being grounded in where you are, knowing where the, the, the cardinal points are, you know, and just doing that on the hoof all the time. I think someone taught me how to, how to navigate from the stars really early on in my career. You know, that's the North Star. And, and that's a lesson I've never forgot. I taught my lad it when he was like 10, 11 years old. That's a North Star. So you can always work out where North is, South is, East West, you know, stuff like that. You know, just having the ability to just, you know, as soon as you stick your boot on the ground, no matter what vehicle you've just got out of or helicopter you've just got out of, being able to swivel around and go, right, that's there, that's there, that's there. I know where everything is. I know where I am. That you, you, That's worth more than anything else, I think, in that line of work. Yeah, man. Yeah. You can't do anything else. If you, <laughs> you don't know where you are and you don't know where, where North is, you, you, you're pretty screwed. You're not going to do anything else. Let's be I, don't, I don't want you to want me. I don't want you. I don't know what you want me to say, man. Like, if you, if you don't know which way is north, I ain't got nothing for you. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm Sounds really basic, and it is. Number one, well, know where you are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where am I? Yeah. No, yeah. no, that's good. That is a good thing in life, in general. It's, yeah, it's so basic, but, you know, you'd be surprised how many people just cut their way through. And, right. You know, they, they, you know, they think they're good at navigating, but actually you, you need... Again, that, that sniper course was so invaluable because running around in the dark on your own and suddenly going, all oh, right, I do actually really need to pay attention to what I'm doing. Otherwise, I'm going to run 2K in the wrong direction. Uh -huh. You know, and that hurts when you've got that much weight on your back, you know. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely the one thing I would say you need to be grounded in massively. Okay. Well, I guess you, we don't need two and three because number one is so important. Sorry, mate. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> Two and three, uh, yeah, <laughs> physical. Uh, the, the other guys have already said it, you know, physical, mental robustness. Uh, mental robustness comes from having that physical robustness. Um, and, yeah, and and just like like I said before, you know, pick pick your mentors and stick to them like glue. Yeah. Learn what you can. Be a sponge. Learn what you can from the, from the people who know what they're doing. Yeah. If, if you think back, is there like um... – is there one sort of dip, like one funny thing, other than obviously you're breaking your ankle? I mean, that's a pretty good one. <laughs> <laughs> that's a pretty good one uh, to go back to. But like, you know, one contact or uh, one stupid thing or one time you fell on your face on MVGs or something that just sort of stands out. <laughs> like, you're like, oh, there's yeah. so many. There's so many, mate. It's, it's crazy. And the, the, I suppose there's one little thing that I can say that that did make me chuckle. You know, again, it was it was sort of mid-contact, mid, mid, uh, mid, you know, yeah, there was 
there was a really busy period where we were in sort of margin now and um we were doing one of those um again we were supposed to be drawing it was when three commando brigade moving into an area in between margin hour and they were putting the old Maginot line in and our, our lot was to basically draw there was a lot of foreign fighters in the area and we were to draw them towards us so we we were calling it up tethered goat but i don't think that's what the actual <laughs> and uh direct translation so, yeah so uh on and off we were in contact on and off for about 16 hours i think it was a busy day and a busy night and there was one point about halfway through the afternoon when it had been going on and on and on and one of our guys was listening into their comms um and uh you know i think you can do that with a normal transistor radio pretty much and one of one of the other guys one of the one of the guys on the other side um was being told to hurry up bring up the rpgs and you could hear him out of breath on his reply. And he said, he said, Abdul, I feel like an old camel. <laughs> <laughs> and he just sat around laughing. Because he was always... You're like, I know what you mean, man. I know what you yeah, mean. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, it was just it almost, it was weird because it kind of, you know, just humanized the people on the other side, you know, for a minute. And it's like, yeah. Yeah, like, I felt that feel? sucked too. Yeah, I've definitely yeah. felt that sucked too. Yeah, yeah that's funny. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> yeah. Um, like an old camel. I, I don't want to like scrub over the the rest of like the time after you left the the group, but obviously, you know nah, what to say. <laughs> what to say? Obviously, you went and spent a lot of time passing a lot of that information on to people, and uh, then and yeah. then obviously you've and then and then subsequently you've got out. Um, it'd be interesting just to hear like your thoughts on how you know that kind of like that buffer period where you had to like transition out of that. Because I know a lot of guys. I mean, certainly I know for about eighteen months, it took me to get all, to get resettled. And when I left, and uh, and then, sort of like, how responsive people were to like the stuff that you were trying to send to them, and then what did that transition out of the military feel like? Okay, so um, the, the the transition from being you know down at, at one of the fastest paced units, you know. On, in in the UK military world, regard definitely um, to to going back to so I went back to training wing. I, I volunteered at that point to come off um, of the group, largely because of like I say, my, my young son at the time was was about nine nine years old, and uh, he was starting to starting to realise how how long six months was. And I I, I mean what I say, you know, it, the last time I went away for a tour, it, it literally broke my heart. You know, he, he was crying and you know he knew and I couldn't I couldn't trick him anymore with the old Google Earth story you know I couldn't I couldn't tell him anymore that he could run outside and wave up and I could see him on Google Earth because he wasn't going to buy that anymore you know he was starting to get a bit more you know he's brighter than I am he wasn't he wasn't going to fall for that anymore <laughs> so um yeah I, I kind of I promised him that that would be the last one um and I kept my promise and I went no this is my last tour I, I need to get off and so um went back to you know our regiment back back to to Honington to training wing uh, and yeah, went on to J Rocks to, uh, I'd like to say, impart some of the knowledge that that I'd learned over those sort of seven or eight years um, doing that that really sort of heavy frontline frontline role. Um, I'd like to think that I did impart some knowledge, um, and yeah, it, it was a again, it was a welcome break from what I'd been doing. But I think it, it's weird you suddenly realize the world's never going to seem the same again um and it, it's almost like putting a different different pair of specs on and going now this is this this is 
not what I'm used to. And uh, yeah, I don't get this anymore, really. And I think the world started to quiet down again as well about the same time. And although this obviously only this op still going on, but um, you know, it seemed like the worst was over. And I, I kind of knew that it was never going to be like that again. I knew that I was never going to end up in that situation again. Um, and I sort of almost resigned to it. You know, I kind of, you know, I took my foot off the gas and um, although, although training J-Rocks, you can't really, you can't really take your foot off the gas because they're all younger than you and fitter than you. You know, you're surrounded by uber keen blokes like McKinnell and, and uh, Thorpe and, you know, people like that who, and, and Bally who are just like the, the, the most professional keen blokes you've ever been. And, I, and like you said, you know, at the start, you know, I joined up a little bit before then. So I'm probably starting to get towards the tired end of my career. <laughs> I'm trying to run around with these utter pounders, you know, these uber lunatics. Um, uh, and, and I did for a bit and, and it was fine. But then I, I think I to get towards, you know, my 20, 21, 22, 23 year point. Um, and I and I, I was getting a little bit, uh, dare I say, a little bit disgruntled with, and a li little bit disillusioned with the the whole um, Air Force promotion uh, side. Um, not not for my own sake, you know that sounds really selfish. I didn't, I never wanted promotion. It always came along at the right time. Someone like I say, someone always saw something in me, pushed me forwards, and you know I took the promotion gladly when it came along. But I never, I never chased it. Um, but it seemed that while I was in that in that environment and watching people getting passed over year after year that should be promoted. And I started to get quite disenchanted. Um, I think, you know, yeah, a bit bitter is the wrong word. I wasn't bitter at all. I just, I just lost that spark, lost the, the energy for it. And I think I decided it was time to, to make a break. You know, there was a clear decision, try and find a new career at the age of the tender age of 42 or, or stick it out to the bitter end and try and find a career in, in my 50s. Uh, and, yeah. and that was it. It was a no-brainer at the time. It was like, yeah, thanks. You know, I'll take me bully tankard. I'll take me pension and, you know, go and find something else. And, and so I did, you know, I, I took all my learning credits, went and retrained as a project manager and, and, and other bits and pieces, you know, health and safety and all that kind of interesting, exciting stuff. And yeah, and, and left. Um, and, and I think, yeah, I think the key there was just to get, just not not bitter but just just disenchanted enough to to make an easy break you know and you know you you, you know you feel like you don't owe me anything I don't owe you anything thanks thanks for a remarkable career you know um and yeah you know it, it's been a blast but that was then and you move on and you take all your experiences with you your little debts and you, you try and apply it to to something new yeah and then we I mean we haven't even talked about like skydiving or any of that kind of stuff so i mean that uh i mean that's oh all god gone. no don't get me on that no please. no we won't we won't we won't we won't but i'm just saying like you know <clears throat> it's a it's a long story and it's a it's a it's a great career and we could have probably you know we could do a podcast on like each sort of element oh uh, and i just I want think we bored people long enough <laughs> but i just want to like you know you've been like you said you've been out my headset uh we've been out five years now and yeah. you know I, I was trying to figure out the last time that you and I had spoke, but I feel like I'm so much in your life and I see so much of what you're doing. And I know that's social media, <laughs> but it's not just your social media. It's like the web of contacts and the web of like yeah. um, everybody. And yeah. we're so, you know, we're so much stronger together. And, and I want to kind of like talk about, you know, 
something that you said earlier about um you know everyone thinks everyone's okay and uh i kind of want to touch on it just before we finish of sure yeah don't right don't it's cool to say it's cool to be the guy if someone phones you that you answer the phone and it's cool to be the guy who posts on facebook and instagram and that that hey man i'm here for anybody that needs me but i i want everyone to just realize that it doesn't take a second to like maybe scroll through the a's in your phone and hit boom, I'm going to call so-and-so or maybe be generous and scroll down to the T's for the rest of us, you know, guys a little bit further in the alphabet. And, uh, <laughs> and, and just, call, you know, if you do that once a month and if you call an totally. A, you know, you call an A on this month and you call a Z on this month and not that I know anybody with a Z, but, you know, um, be the guy who reaches out. Don't, don't be the guy who says, hey, I'm always here for you guys. Um, that's, what, that's what I would just sort of take out of all of this stuff. Absolutely. Um, totally agree. A little bit more lighthearted. Yeah. Desert Island JTAC. Okay. <laughs> what three items are you taking with you? Easy. Compass like a binos and uh and me and me, me little little GPS. <laughs> okay. I, could draw, I could draw a map in the sand if I need to. <laughs> okay, cool, man. Um <laughs> I appreciate you taking the time. I will say while I have this opportunity, I appreciate everything that you handed over to on to me when I was a young uh, JTAC. I I took a lot of it on with me and I appreciate the influence you had on my JTACing career. So thank you Thanks, for that. Um, You're welcome. And, and thank you for taking the time to sit down with me. So that was my little selfish bit, getting to thank you. It, it's um, been great, mate. I really appreciate it. And um, yeah, massively, like I say, I, I've got a lot out of listening to these and, um, and, I, and I'll continue to do so because I think it's great just to keep that community together and, and share that share the stories and the and the tales and that i think it's fantastic it's great what you're doing and, and i love the little community yeah well i'll uh, i'll steal a little something from you from the beginning when you were like giving me a, a an advertisement was there was a lot of names that you dropped throughout this podcast and if your name was in this podcast and you're listening right now you need to come on and everybody needs to stop playing hard to get at this point uh so if you heard your name in this podcast uh, reach out to me and, and and let's let's put your story on the record as well <laughs> mark if you had one closing message across the whole community, you know, try service, um, serving or veteran, what would that sort of closing message be to everybody? Oh, wow. Um, just, uh, yeah, to echo what we said before, just look after each other, you know, that, you know, reach out, look, look after the guys that not only are left and right of you, but, you know, later on, you know, when you don't see them anymore, like you said before, so social media is one of those things that it means that we see and kind of hear of each other all the time so you kind of you, you think everybody's all right but actually like you say you know you, you don't really get that genuine chance to to talk properly and you know i keep missing these little coffee meetings the local the guys that live local to me have these coffee meetings and for some reason everything keeps it's not excuses something keeps cropping up every time and you know i will i will get together with them at some point and you know i'm sure they're just gonna just cane the hell out of me for this podcast but you I know so. hey that's that's what it's all about and then yeah that's it yeah look after each other yeah for sure um i just want to like echo a few things that you said throughout and one of them you mentioned was ego and i think that <clears throat> people need to remember how much of a double-edged sword that is like your ego can be a a negative thing but it also can be a positive thing don't let it be the thing that stops you going on the course you know you just listen to this podcast got through training went to mortars, did a sniper course, went to, down the group. You know, you, you've had an incredible career and never, you know, 
that ego was panging away at you the whole time, but you pushed it aside and, uh, and you owned it. So um, that's a lesson for everybody else. And, you know, I'd say maintain that growth mindset and make sure you're willing to learn from each other people. Like you've mentioned so many pe- names of like people that you've learned from and, you know, were willing to take on what they said. And, and, and I guess at the end there, you said, you know, we're stronger together. Make sure you're taking care of each other. So thanks, Absolutely. Mark. Thanks, mate. Cheers. Thank you. And I appreciate you taking the time to listen. All our podcasts sit on the Nine Foot Night Killer Collective, Soul Feed, Forge Not Made, and the JTAP podcast. Take some time, maybe listen to one of the other podcast series that you're not listening to, and give us your feedback. All these things only happen because of the Nine Foot Night Killer community, and we really appreciate them. Thank you, everybody, for listening.